instruments today. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter 2, we learn of salvation. And you'll hear in, in good gospel preaching churches, you'll hear the word saved a lot. Amen? And you hear about being born again. And this tells us kind of the process of how somebody gets born again. How, how somebody, Jesus years ago talked to Nicodemus and, and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked the question that any sane thinking person would ask. How can a man be born when he's old? I've already been born. Well, he wasn't talking about another physical birth. He was talking about a spiritual rebirth. And so it starts off in <clears throat> chapter 2 with <clears throat> really some bad news, I guess we would say. The, if you look at verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to get into uh, a bit of my story today. But if you look at verses 1 through 3, we see the plight of the sinner. If you look at verse 1, it says, and, and you hath he quickened, that word means to made alive. When, when a person gets born again, we're going to talk about how to do that, but when a person gets born again, they are made alive. But before they are born again, it says here, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So the plight of the sinner is, first of all, he is spiritually dead. He's physically alive, walking around, but spiritually dead. And that goes all the way back to when Adam and Eve sinned. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Whereas for by one sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, and, that, and death uh, is the wages of sin. So, so each of us, before we know Christ, before we're born again, we're spiritually dead. But then, not only are we dead... But it says that in verse 2, we're not only dead, but we're directed. Look at verse 2. It says, wherein in time past, he's talking to believers here at Ephesus. He's getting them to look back at their life and remember who they were before Christ saved them. And he says, wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's a title for the devil, says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Listen, before a person comes to Christ, they're directed in their comportment and their course and their conductor and their conversation, how they live their life. And I'm, you're going to learn a lot about me today in regards to that. By the way, not to give the devil any glory, to give God all the glory. But I'm telling you what, it, it says here, wherein in time past you walked according to the co course of this world. And then if you look at verse number 3, not only we see uh, the plight of the sinner in that we're dead and we're directed, but we're, uh, verse 2 also says we're disobedient, the children that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But then, look at verse 3, it says, among whom also we, what's the next word, church? All had our conversation. Hey, you may not be such a sinner that you end up in Parnell, but that doesn't make you less of a sinner. Because it says we're all. You know what that means? The pastor is a sinner. The deacons. Boy, those deacons. Amen. No, moving right along. Amen. 
Uh, listen, every one of us, it, it's easy. Uh, we, we had a professor in Bible college. He, he used to say to us, uh, Brother Merklinger, he'd say, do you know what all means in the Greek? And we'd look at him for this pearl of wisdom. He said, it means all, dummy. That's what it means. All. And, and so we're, we're all dead in trespasses and sins. We're all directed towards the, the wrong way. We're all disobedient. In verse 3, it tells us that we're all defiled among whom we also all had our conversation in time past. What did we do in time past? Before we were born again, it says, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of, and of the mind. And then we're by nature, the last part of the plight of the sinner, it says there, but we're by nature the children of wrath. But listen, without Christ, we're doomed. We're doomed. Children of wrath. What does that mean? That God is going to pour out his wrath. And so, the plight of the sinner. I was born at a very early age. Amen. I was born at a very early age. I was born in January of 1972. And I was adopted by my mom and my dad just three months later in April. By the way, I was born, I've shared this before, preaching on this issue, but I was born to an unwed mother, a 19-year-old unwed mother who could not bring herself to have an abortion, but could not keep me either. And I'm so thankful to that to this day. So I was adopted. I was <clears throat> raised in a loving home by a good, what we would call good parents, uh, people that went to work every day and, and uh, provided a stable, uh, loving home. And, uh, but, and I went to the Church of Rome. I, I grew up in the Church of Rome and went through all the sacraments to that point, went through all the rituals. I was baptized as a baby, and I went to my first communion, and I attended catechism classes, and I was as lost as a ball in high weeds. As I grew and was raised there in a wonderful little town called Westfield, Massachusetts, about 90 miles west of Boston, I, I grew up playing youth sports, and it was back in a, in a day in the late 70s and early 80s when uh, you played neighborhood sports, too. And we, I, we grew up, again, real middle-class neighborhood. There was just kids everywhere, and so we were always doing something. Well, you know, again not really going to church very much, just kind of, you know, every once in a while, and you're running with kids your own age, I think we all know what happens. You get yourself into some trouble. You get to take on some habits that aren't the best. Don't look at me like visitors from heaven today. You were up here and you could share. And so I, I just go back and again, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to keep these kind of generic, but uh, you know, I think about as I grew, uh, sins and sin and sins begin to manifest themselves in my life. Um, I think about, you know, as a young man being exposed to pornography. It was just a very common thing in lost people's homes back then. By the way, it's an even more common thing now. And I think about uh, rock music, and I think about uh, thievery and, and, and cursing and all those things. And, and listen, folks, I could play the part in front of the adult. I could say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and then go off with my buddies and curse like a sailor as I was growing up. And so I think about that, and, and I, I, again, 
moved into my teen years and I was a three-sport athlete in high school and, and uh, had my first uh, serious girlfriend when I was a senior in high school and I truly believed we would end up getting married and, and uh, living our lives and, and it just didn't turn out that way. And again, when you're 18 years old and, and uh, you're lost, you do what 18-year-old lost people do and I lost my purity. Lost my purity. One of the great regrets of my life was that I couldn't give my purity to my wife on our wedding day. I graduated in May of 1990, and in the fall of 1990, I got a great job at a place called Hamilton Standard in Windsor Locks, Connecticut. It was a huge company. If you've ever seen, uh, uh, what am I looking for, uh, Cessna Blades. Uh, on, a, on, a, on a Cessna engine, the blades on the front, if they have yellow tips, they're probably from Hamilton Standard. They made all kinds of things, made stuff for the space shuttle and all that. It was just a huge company. And I got a great job there. And at that place, I met a friend uh, in 1992. And he's still my friend today. I sent him Christmas cards with gospel tracks in it. And uh, I had just bought a drum set and was learning how to play the drums. Now, I'll just say this, every instrument is miserable when you're first learning it. But boy, the drums really take the cake. Uh, they, you know, my neighbors must have just, oh my goodness. And uh, I was just learning how to play, and my friend was a great drummer in a great band. And so we began to hang out, talk, you know, develop a friendship, and, and of course I would go see his band. It wasn't long before that I started helping his band, started growing, growing my hair out and all that, and my girlfriend that I had at the time, very serious girlfriend, uh, could see that we were going in different directions. And uh, she ended our relationship after three years. And again, folks, I personally believe, I don't have scripture for it, but I personally believe that there is a bond that God intended to take place in marriage with physical intimacy. And the reason why there's so much heartache in people that don't get married and still have physical relationships is because God intended that bond to bring us together. And when it's ripped apart through breaking up things like that, it is awful. It, it's hurtful. It's, it just breaks us. And I very, 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 very seriously came within a hair's breadth of committing suicide over that. You say, you had a, you had a good home. You had Listen, those things... Don't ever, don't ever say, well, you'll get over it. And, and th Those are hard things for young people. Some of us have just been old for so long, we forgot what it was to be young. <laughs> Amen? And I, I, remember, I remember, you know, telling my mother and father that I had just literally almost, and my mother got sick. She literally got sick to her stomach. And uh, it was just... Just a, a difficult time, and, and, and again, I, I didn't know the Lord. I, I didn't know. I never went to a church like this growing up. I wish I, you know, I, I go back and I look, and everybody has a unique testimony. I, I kind of wish I did, but this is my testimony. This is my story about how the Lord reached down and, 
and got me. And so, uh, you know, I, I was in a band at this time. I, I had gotten in a band, and, and it's that, that in and itself is an incredible story. All these years later, three of the uh, fellows in our band are, are in the ministry. Two pastor churches like this, myself and the singer that I was in a band with. He pastors in Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, but we didn't obviously know that at the time. Uh, I was just, you know, in a band, and, and it was about, I turned 21 years old, and, you know, I've said this before, when you turn 21, pretty much anything you want to do is legal. And when you're lost, you do all kinds of things you shouldn't do. And uh, so uh, just, just drifting and, and uh, you know, there was booze and, and, and women and, and all those things. And again, I, I don't want to go into too many details here, but please know, again, I don't tell you these things to, to give the devil any glory, rather to show you that I am exactly what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 was telling us about. What's it say? It was dead in trespasses and sins, walked uh, in time past according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air. Uh, I had my conversation in the, the, the uh, times of the past and the lust of the flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and, and just was all about the selfish sinner. That was my life at that point. 1993, the week between... Christmas and New Year's, I met a beautiful girl named Carrie Arenius. Some of you didn't know Miss Carrie's maiden name, Arenius. She went from A to Z in one day when we got married, amen? <laughs> and it was so of the Lord in the fact, Brother Lolly, that she lived in Newport News, Virginia, and I lived in Westfield, Massachusetts, because, again, I was lost. I was the selfish sinner. So thankfully, it was a long-distance relationship. Lots of time on the phone. We owned Ma Bell on Sunday nights. <laughs> Amen. Had phone, back when phones had cords, you get yourself hogtied. And we began to communicate and have that relationship. And then in July of 1994, Carrie moved to Fitchburg, Massachusetts, which was about 70 miles away from where I lived. And then... In August of 1994, I got a job at a place called Turbine Engine Services. It was such a unique job. I was only there for six months. I was a shipping and receiving manager, and then I began to get into quality, and they would take uh, gas turbine engines and, and uh, bring them in and then tear them down, and they had this huge warehouse. And so the whole warehouse would just be a walking engine all opened up, and they would figure out which parts could be salvaged and which parts had to be replaced, and they put it all back together and send it back to the power companies. It's a really, really unique job. And it was there that I met the man who would plant the seeds in my life of the gospel. His name's Bob Barnes, and Bob was uh, a wrench turner, a mechanic, and uh, we had so many of those guys. You have all these stages of the engine where you got to click, 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 and uh, I mean just hundreds and hundreds of uh, bolts on, on that engine, and these guys, they all look like Popeye with their forearms because they did that all day long, and Bob, Bob was like 6'6", 330 pounds. I used to kid with him. I was like, you block sun. You know, he's just a human eclipse. He just, and, and Bob, Bob was different. Bob was different. 
On Friday nights, the, the, the company had like a, 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 an alternate building that was about two miles away, and they had a dock there at the back, and a bunch of us would go and just have a few beers after work on Friday. But Bob never went. Bob never went. And I found out that Bob was a Sunday school teacher at his local church. And I thought to myself, Brother Steve, I thought, imagine being a, a, you know, a, a toddler and having Bob as your Sunday school teacher. Every week is David and Goliath, you know, uh, in, in the Sunday school class. This giant man, you know, looking down at you. And so one, one day in November, uh, October of 1994, October of 1994, my boss asked me, he said, I need you to, I need you to drive Bob up to Springfield, Massachusetts. It was about a 30-mile drive from Windsor Locks, Connecticut. The New England states are small except for Maine. You can be in all of them within a couple hours. He said, I need you to drive Bob up to pick up. Bob had a Class A CDL. He said, he's going to pick up a flatbed, and he's got to go pick up an engine. So you just drive him up there, and he'll get the flatbed, and, and he'll come back. And So here we are, and I'm, I'm driving up to Windsor Locks, Connecticut, my long hair, I hadn't had a haircut in about three years. And I'm driving, and here's Bob next to me. And every, every day, you know, I, I had a Jeep Wrangler at the time, and every day I would pull out of the parking lot, you know, with the, the, the stereo on 10, you know, just. And so Bob was just looking, Mr. Anderson, he was looking for a way in. He was just looking for that. And he said to me, he said, you know those bands you listen to, he said, they all kind of portray hell as a big party. You know, where like the devil's the host, like, hey, come on in, have a beer, that kind of a thing. And, and Bob said, you know, it's not true. He said, hell is a place of eternal torment. And you don't want to go there. And I, I don't recall what I said. I think I said, wow, yeah, okay, you know, just, and uh, that was about all Bob said, literally. And we got to the place, and, and he picked up the flatbed, and we were, we were coming back. He said, hey, let's, let's stop, stop off at McDonald's. We'll, we'll get some breakfast. And, and, uh, and as we did, he pulled out of his pocket two gospel tracks, like we have in our track rack over there. One was called A Message from People Who Care by the Reapers. And it was, it's a very famous one. If you open it up, it's probably about fourfold. And it has a man on one side on a cliff and then God on the other side on a cliff and sin in the middle. And how you can't, you can't jump that cliff, amen? And then you open it up even more and it shows the cross, how it spans the cliff. So you can go, get to God through the cross, just like Pastor Alex so I read that. But then the one that he gave me that I read several times was called This Was Your Life by Jack Chick. It's called a Chick Track, and it's a cartoon. We have them out there in our uh, uh, track rack, and the, the, their philosophy has always been Chick Tracks get read, and they do. They really do. And I read that several times, read through, got to the end, and, and being a good Catholic boy, I noticed there was a prayer at the end. So, Brother Tim, I prayed that prayer. Now, I wasn't saved. I was just praying a prayer, like I did in the Catholic Church so many times. Our Father, which art in heaven, or Hail Mary, full of grace. I looked, saw that there was this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I, my heart wasn't there. It was just verbalizing. 
In February of 1995, by the way, I only worked at Turbine Engine Services for six months. I've not seen Bob since. What a reunion it's going to be one day when I see him again. In February of 1995, Carrie and I were living together. And Carrie had asked me, she had asked me, what do you think about God? And I remember before, uh, this, this had happened before uh, I talked with Bob, and Bob talked with me, and I'd read those tracts and stuff. I, I had said, well, I, I don't really know that there is a God. I, I don't know. And Carrie knew at that point we couldn't continue our relationship because as a little girl, she had trusted Christ at a camp in Carver, Massachusetts. And she knew this was an unequal yoke. And so she began to pray, and you can ask her this, she'll tell you. She began to pray, Lord, help him to break up with me. Help him to break up with me. And then I met Bob. And then in February of 1995, I remember my wife had a, a horrific dream. And I, I don't put stock in dreams versus what the Word of God says, but I remember my wife had a horrible dream just a terrible dream, woke up, you know, cold sweats, all that. And I said something that to this day I know is of God and is not of me. Miss Kim, I said to her, you know what? We need to get to church. Because, first of all, every time I'd ever been to Catholic church before, it was... <laughs> I always thought, Brother Tim, that's why they got you kneeling and going up and down was just to keep you awake, amen? And I just, I didn't, I never enjoyed church. I, why would I say we need to get to church? And so we lived in a place, Westfield, Massachusetts, and there was uh, Holyoke, Massachusetts. There was a big mall in Holyoke, and we would go over the mountain. And on the side of that mountain, there was a little white church called Mountain View Baptist Church. So I said to my wife, who was just my girlfriend at the time, I said, why don't you see what time that little white church has mass? <laughs> Mrs. Lawley, I've asked Pastor Tharp all these years, when is the mass? Amen. We never seem to have it. Amen. And she said, she said, they start church at 11. And forgive me, I was lost, folks. I said, woohoo, I could sleep till 1030. <laughs> Couldn't ever do that at Catholic church. It was 8 a.m. <laughs> so we went the next Sunday. I went in my heavy metal t-shirt and overalls. I was almost going to wear bibs today, but I thought it would ruin the illustration, Brother Swaffer. Amen. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what. We went into an old-fashioned, independent, fundamental, friendly Baptist church. And I remember old Chuck Brewer. He was one of the deacons. Old Chuck Brewer. It would be the equivalent of our Bill Horsch. And for those of you that remember Brother Horsch, Chuck Brewer stuck his hand out and he said, Young fella, it's good to have you today. And here I am, hair down to here, and just a sight to behold. And I said, Well, thanks. And I sat down and they had a, a service just like we've had music and special music and offertory. And, and then the preacher got up there. And he was pounding the pulpit and pointing his finger and the vein in his head was popping out, throbbing. I thought his head was going to explode, turning all red. And 
I thought to myself, what on earth is the matter with him? Amen. And then he began to really get preaching. And I was convinced that my girlfriend had told that man every sin that I had ever committed. Because it seemed like, Mrs. Merklinger, he was preaching on everything that I was doing. And she's sitting there, she told me this later, and you can ask her, she's sitting there praying silently, please don't let him hate it, please don't let him hate it, please don't let him hate it. And I'm over there like this. Who's this guy, you know? But he was a straight shooter. Thank God for preachers that are straight shooters. There's enough charlatans out there, usually on the TV, saying, send me your money and I'll send you a hanky. Thank God for real preachers. And I walked out that day. I walked out lost. The truth is, if I had died that week, I would have went to hell. But the Holy Spirit was working. He was, forgive me, He was brooding over me. And we went back the next week. In the next week, as we do in independent Baptist churches, he gave an invitation at the end of the service. We'll give one today. And I remember him saying, he said, uh, come if you'd, you'd like to be saved, if, if, if you'd like somebody to show you how to, be, how to trust Christ. And, and he had gone through the plan of salvation. And, and he sa- I remember he said, take, he said, just take that first step, the Holy Ghost will help you with the second one. I remember he said that. But I couldn't, Brother Brooks, I couldn't take that first step. I just couldn't do it and come down. But I thought to myself, well, there's no sense in going to hell just because I can't take a first step. And so what I did that day when the gospel was presented to me, the fact that we we looked at the the plight of the sinner, but here, if you notice uh, in verses 4 through 7, we have the love of the Savior. It says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Hey, how did God show His love toward us? Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That preacher was preaching, and he was preaching on sins, and he was preaching on uh, to, to sinners. But I'll tell you what he was preaching about. He was preaching about a Savior who came and died on a cross because He loved sinners. And I remember the preacher saying, he'll save you if you'll call upon him. And I remember having this, this, this battle between the spirit and the flesh in that pew with my head bowed and my long hair hanging down. I remember it so clearly. And I remember finally giving in. And thinking to myself, as as the preacher said, you know what? He said, God will trade you a home in heaven for all your sins. And Miss Faith, I remember saying, that sounds like a good deal to me. That sounds like a good deal to me. And I bowed my head and I prayed the most simple prayer anyone has ever prayed. I prayed, Lord Jesus, please save me. I'm a sinner, please save me. That's it. That's all I prayed. Not deep in theology, but very, very deep in practicality. The love of the Savior. This is 
my testimony, but really, Brother Stark, it's his love story for me and for you. Each of you has a testimony, unless you're here today and you've never been saved. And by the way, today could be the day of salvation for you. I think of the, not only the plight of the sinner, the love of the Savior, but then I think of the gift of salvation. If you look at verses 8 and 9, so many people get this so mixed up in life. They think, you gotta, you got to do good to go to heaven. Listen, no one has ever done enough good to go to heaven. No one. But we, and I remember how I used to think growing up in the Catholic Church, I think, well, one day God's going to weigh my good works versus my bad works, and the bad works are probably going to win out. So I'll probably have to go to purgatory for a few years and, and burn off all those bad works, and then God will let me to heaven. I'm going to tell you something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You decide whether you go to heaven or not. You decide. By what you do with Jesus Christ. And when you die, you will go to the place that you are going to be for all eternity. But here's how easy it is. Look at this. It says in verses 8 and 9, in regards to not only the plight of the sinner, and not only the love of the Savior, but the gift of salvation. What do we see? It says here, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God offers you the gift of salvation. You can't work for it. All you can do is receive it. That's all you can do. Just receive it. That's what I did that day in February of 1995. I realized that I was a sinner that my sin would send me to hell, that I needed to be born again, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my person. I received the gift. Have you always lived a perfect life since? I think we all know the answer to that. Not a chance. Not a chance. But that doesn't affect my salvation one bit. I received the gift. But then not only is there the plight of the sinner and the love of the Savior and the gift of salvation in this text, there's the life of the saint. And I'll focus on that for the remaining few moments that we have. If you look at verse number 10, it tells us that after we receive the gift, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto what? Good works. See, if you're... Wanting your good works to get you to heaven, you've got the cart before the horse. Your good works can't get you to heaven, but I will tell you this, if you'll receive the gift, you'll do good works because you're on your way to heaven. From February 1995 to this day, I've been set apart by God for good works. Have I always done good works? No. Have I sinned? Yes. So have you and all God's people said. But I want to just give you five quick things. And I, they, I promise it'll be quick. This is, the introduction is the bulk of this message today. That Jesus did for me, he did for many in this room, and he can do for anyone under the sound of my voice. Number one, Jesus completely saved me from my sin. 
See, that's the problem. We need forgiveness of our sin. We are sinners. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the moment that I received the gift, you know what the gift was? The gift of forgiveness. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, Brother Talbert. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you come to Jesus as a guilty sinner and ask Him to save you and forgive you, He forgives you of all your sins, past, present, and future. I did that that day. I didn't realize I did that. I just knew that I was a sinner and He was the Savior. But I want to tell you something. If you're here today without Christ, I want you to know that Jesus can completely save you from your sin, from the power and penalty of sin. John 6, 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. How do you, how do you accept that gift? By faith, you believe. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, but with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So, completely save me from my sin. Number two, Jesus is able to totally change you. He's able to totally change you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Oh, that next year of my life, really, the next two years especially, were just a testament to the power of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God to work in a life. We began to become very faithful at Mountain View Baptist Church. By the way, we were still living together. I still hadn't had a haircut yet. And I remember our pastor sitting down and meeting with us and saying, uh, I, had, I had gotten a haircut. I had said to him, uh, hey, I'm coming back tonight, but I'm coming back different. And I had long hair. I'd, I'd wear it in a ponytail. It looked a lot like this, except I didn't have Death Valley back then on the top. And uh, it was long in the back. And, and uh, I went and got a haircut in the afternoon. I remember the lady that cut my hair. Uh, she was... Forgive me, she's running her fingers through my hair. And I said, yeah, I want to cut it off. I want you to cut it short. And she, she had her hands in my hair, Mrs. Lawley. She said, are you sure? <laughs> my pastor joked so many times. He said, Rich had prettier hair than Carrie. I got a cut. Went back that night. And I'll never forget one. The little kids, they always used to sit between Carrie and I. We didn't have any children of our own. So we adopted all the uh, the church kids, you know, and I'd sit on one end of the pew, she'd sit on the other, and we'd have all these kids between us, and one of the little girls, she looked at me, and she went, <laughs> next thing you know, everybody's looking, no, no hair in the back, just, hello, amen. And I remember my, my pastor met with us, he said, you know, we'd, we'd like you to consider joining the church. And, uh, you know, again, I, I just thought if you came and put money in the plate that you were a member. I've had people tell me that through the years, Brother Hauser. I thought I was, you know. And I, he said, no, no. He said, but, but right now, he said, let me just share something. He said, you're, you're living together and you're not married. And so, you know, we, we can't do that. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to offer you an option. He said, what do you think about, we had a deacon, Brother Brewer, and his wife had raised four girls. 
and they were all grown, and they had four empty pink bedrooms. And he said, what would you think about, because we were, we're already engaged, we were planning on getting married. He said, what would you think about Carrie living here and you living where you are until you get married? And I said, that sounds great. We joined the church, begin to get involved, begin to serve. Got, we got married in June of 1996, been married for 27 years. I surrendered to preach in November of 1996. I was folding laundry, listening to a cassette tape of Tom Malone. I'd never heard of Tom Malone before. And I, right there, I knew the Lord was working on me, and I knelt by our waterbed in our one-room one apartment with a loft bedroom. And I said, Lord, I'll, I'll preach if you want me to, but I don't really want to. And then a year later, we were in Bible college. Four years later, we graduated, came back to our home church, served as youth pastor for five years, served as an associate pastor in another church in New England for three years, and for the last 14 years, I've been your pastor here. I want to tell you something. The change in my life is all God. See, you've only known me as Pastor Rich. But I promise you, there was a Rich before that was a selfish sinner before he got saved. And Jesus Christ has totally changed my life. It's a blessing for me to go back to New England and see guys I used to know. Forgive me, that are very much the same as they were back then. And many times I think to, Lord, why me? Why were you so gracious to me? But that's exactly what it is. It's grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. So if you're here today without Christ, I want to tell you, Jesus can completely save you from your sin. He can totally change you. You know what? Number three, we learned this. He eternally keeps us saved. I am so glad that my salvation is not up to me, that I don't have to... This, the, the, the people that believe that you have to hang on to your salvation, the equivalent to that is Noah getting on the ark and then going like this for all those days it rained. No. The Bible says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. When you get born again, when you trust Christ by faith, when you receive the gift, you can't get unborn again. When you become a child of God, he has no unchildren of God. Eternally keeps me saved. He abundantly gives me life. You know, when I think of my life today, and I think of what it was 30 years ago. I'm amazed. I think of the verse. It's John 10.10. 10. It said, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Christian, is, the Christian life is not just no's and don'ts. It's the life that really matters. It's the life that comes with eternal rewards. It's the abundant life. And then lastly... Not only completely saved me from my sin, totally changed me through Christ, eternally keeps me saved, abundantly gives me life, 
exceedingly blesses me with his grace. If you're in Ephesians, just turn over one page and look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's a tremendous verse. It said that God is able to do exceeding abundantly. We, we, we can't even imagine. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 7. This, this verse always just, it, it throws me when I read it and I think about it. Verse 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The person who has received Jesus, the person who has received the gift, they're already as good as seated in heaven, it says. They've got a reservation. Your name's on the back of the chair. But then it says this, That in the ages to come, not now, but Miss Sammons, this is one day in the future. He might show the exceeding riches of his what? In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I think of how good God has been to me. I think of the wife he gave me. I think of the children that he gave me. I think of the church family. Church families through the years that he has given to me. I think of our home and where we live. I think of getting to support missionaries. And all I can say is like Brother Becker. When we ask Brother Becker, how you doing? Better than I deserve. I want to tell you something. The Christian life, you do have to humble yourself to become a Christian. You have to humble yourself. You have to, you have to admit the fact that you're a sinner. But that's easy to admit because we all are. Every last person on planet earth is a sinner. That's why Jesus came, was born of a virgin who wasn't a sinner, died on an old rugged cross, shed his blood to pay the wages for sin, and he simply says, if you'll trust me, I'll make your payment and I'll give you a home in heaven. But then not only just a home in heaven but an abundant life. That's my testimony. That's my story. There's a song in our hymnal written by a writer named Stuart Hamlin. And Stuart Hamlin was the neighbor of John Wayne. We all know John Wayne. And Stuart Hamlin was a very committed believer. And he began to share his testimony with John Wayne one time, his neighbor. And he said to John Wayne, as John Wayne began to ask him about the Lord and spiritual things, and Stuart Hamlin said to him, he said, You know, John, it's no secret what God could do if you would just give yourself to him. If you would just trust him. It's no secret what God can do. And through that experience, he wrote a wonderful song in our hymnal. And the chorus, you know the chorus, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, 
He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God gives. I, I love, Brother Kinser, I love my story. I really do. It's his story. It, I, I'm just a, a principal actor in the story. I don't mean God's a puppet master. I, I don't believe that at all. You've got to make a choice. You can either choose to trust Christ or you cannot. But the consequences to both of those decisions are eternal. One forgives you of sin and one guarantees that you will have to pay for your sin one day in the place called hell. You don't want to do that. God doesn't want you to do that. The Lord Jesus came so you wouldn't have to do that. But I'm going to tell you this. My story, there's some different details, but the ground is level at the cross. My story is no different than anybody else's in the fact that it is no secret what God could do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you.